Welcome to Rejuvenated Women, Impeccable Health for High-Performing Women. Each week, we feature interviews, information, and inspiration that will motivate you to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. My name is Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, selfless syndrome expert, board-certified women's health coach, alternative medicine practitioner, retired chiropractor, wife, mom, and entrepreneur. I specialize in health for busy and driven women. Listen weekly as I share the tools, perspective, and knowledge you need to lose weight, boost your energy, and fall in love with yourself so that you can serve the world with an even bigger impact. Hello, welcome back to Rejuvenated Women, Impeccable Health for High-Performing Women. Today, I'm very excited to be joined for the second time by my guest, Jennifer Helene Popkin. If you missed our first interview, we had such a great conversation, we decided we just needed to have another one. But to, to reintroduce her to the show, Jennifer Helene is has been seeking answers to attain optimal health for most of her life, I would say. She gleaned that there was more to optimal health than exercise and diet. As an entrepreneur, a mother, a former Ford model, a wheelchair-bound child, a finalist on MasterChef, writer and ghostwriter of many cookbooks, and a devoted yoga teacher and practitioner, Jennifer Helene has distilled key factors that contribute to optimal health mentally, physically, and spiritually, and has put it into a system that delivers results. She works with clients to reestablish their focus on whole life balance, freedom, and health, and really on creating behavior change. So... Helene, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be here. I um, I just feel so humbled, you know, because I'm still just a student of all of this. You know, I've been doing it for a long time and I've got some answers, which have helped me a lot and helped my clients. But, you know, boy, oh boy, <laughs> there's so much still to learn. There is. I feel like it's probably an unending journey. You know, like you, I've been been on it for a long time and have a doctor. Like, you know, we and I feel like there's still so much knowledge to be gleaned and things to experience and, you know, stuff to figure out depending on your phase of life too. Totally. Right. Like what I think is healthy today is different than what I thought 10 years ago or even 15 years ago. It's, it's literally changing with every life stage. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited to dig into, you know, we, when we connected before recording this, we talked about maybe diving into some of this hormone conversation and like how our hormones shift and change. Um, Cause it's something, a journey I've been on recently. And I know you've, you've had your own story with that, but to preface this for our listeners, you know, I, I uh, did a talk on weight loss a couple of weeks ago and in, you know, preparing for that, I, I Googled just, you know, like how common are hormone imbalances in women and a study that someone did showed or found that 49% of women have hormonal imbalances. And of that 49%, 79% have absolutely no idea that that's what's going on with them. And so I thought that would be a really interesting place to start because we can be so disconnected from ourselves. And so, you know, think that abnormal is normal because everyone is experiencing it, but it's actually not normal. Yeah. You know, I, I, I also am really present to the frustration of a lot of clients and friends and family members who feel like they do everything right with their diet and their exercise and they can't lose the weight. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's a really vicious cycle because it's like, what am I doing wrong? And then, you know, it feeds into the whole like blame and shame and, you know, not being able to, to shed the weight is tough. Uh, on your ego, <laughs> on yeah. your, your morale, on um, 
you know, just in general, and it's like looking at the hormones is really tricky because I don't think Western medicine and correct me if I'm wrong, can really understand a hormonal imbalance. It's like we get our thyroid panel and our well check every year. And then unless it's like really off, they, they don't really have much to offer you. And then when it's really off then they give you, you know, Synthroid or, you know, whatever you need, but Hashimoto's thyroiditis, hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism, um, if I'm even saying that correctly, are really, really rampant. And I, I have a lot of ideas about why that might be, but the bottom line is, is that people I know are not getting the information that they need. We don't know how to prevent this from happening because there's no information really that is viable. And then once we have it, what do we do about it? And the only system of medicine that I've had any success with is the Chinese medicine, um, acupuncture, um, electric, you know, acupuncture, as well as Chinese herbs. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, your, you know, what you observe with your clients and yourself in this. And I'm, I'm in the menopausal cycle, right? So I'm dealing with that. And trying to stay kind of on top of the symptoms, kind of trying to prevent the symptoms, but you know, it's like navigating a bit in the dark because you know, once your thyroid is off, uh, you know, you've got to you got to figure it out, and there really isn't a lot of information out there. Yeah, no, there's not. And by the time this episode releases, um, I did a, an interview with a woman who is known as the thyroid fixer. Um, that you know, anyone listening can go back and listen to that. It, it should be a few ex- episodes before this one comes out, but. It's very complicated. And I think you're really right. You know, Western medicine doesn't have a lot to offer and it's not necessarily the fault of any doctor. You know, I, I talked to so many women and I've been one myself that were like, it's just so frustrating when you go in. So they're like, oh, you're fine. And we're like, no, I have symptoms. Like I don't feel right. Something's off. And yet we're told over and over again, you know, that we're fine because ranges are, are skewed and needed to have been changed like 20 years ago. But, you know, they just keep arguing about it instead of ever doing anything with labs. And not only that, but what's really interesting about thyroid, and I learned this uh, about myself because I'm someone who I have normal numbers, but I had symptoms of hypothyroidism and hypo is a lot more common than hyper. I think 90% of the population ends up being hypo um, where your thyroid's underactive. But there's something called functional or subclinical hypothyroidism where all your numbers are normal, but you have symptoms of it. And so you can actually, you know, we could have like a whole long conversation about this, but, but, you know, you can, your TSH can be normal and that's usually the marker that they check. But if your body's not converting T4 to T3, which happens in your gut, then you can actually be hypo around the rest of your body. TSH is really only measuring what's going on in your brain in terms of thyroid hormone and stimulation. And so there's all this interesting stuff that happens, but what's really hard is until you find someone who actually understands this stuff and can give you some guidance, you're, it's a crapshoot and you're usually left not feeling well and right. wondering what's wrong with it. It's like a downward spiral. Um, so why do you think that the, the population is more hypo, has, has hypothyroidism? Like why do you think that is the case? So in my research and my understanding, I, honestly, I think a lot of it is, I mean, like 98% of it could probably be chalked up to our our lifestyle and diet. And it's not necessarily our fault. It's the things in our food. It's the lack of things in our food. I know you're a big plant person, so we could talk, you know, jump into that. Um, cause food is, is one of the ways that you can heal that it's like, they started putting iodine in salt because we weren't getting enough iodine naturally. And you get that from things like seaweed and kelp and 
you know, things that I know you were just drinking in your smoothie. We <laughs> <laughs> were talking about it. <laughs> you know, so we have to find ways to replenish that stuff naturally, but it's also like the processed foods we're eating and all of that. And it can be as well. Um, a lot of heavy metals can impact your thyroid. And so when I look at, you know, I'm looking at like a picture of hormonal health in a female, I'm checking heavy metals. I'm checking thyroid, including free T3 and free T4, and also looking at the sex hormones, because a lot of times your sex hormones being off will impact your thyroid. And the final thing is stress. Um, stress will shut down yeah. the production of all of that. And I, I would argue that in our society today, especially with us as females, you know, we are constantly just go, 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 whether it's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And do you think that like the um, consumption of um, caffeinated beverages, like coffee, you know, may also be causing some imbalance? I don't actually know, but I'm curious what you, what you think about that. Yeah. I mean, I would argue, yes, all you coffee drinkers are about to hate me. <laughs> you mm. know, if you're in a place where you're relying, like, because if you look at, you know, why do we use caffeine? Usually we're tired. We need it to get moving. For some of us, it's like the ritual of morning coffee. Like I work with a lot of women, yeah. but it's about the experience of like yeah. how that morning coffee and what that signifies and all that. And so that's one thing, but you know, typically we're using it because we aren't sleeping enough. We're pushing too hard. We need it to get going and get moving. And so all of those things plus caffeine is just wreaking havoc on all of our normal cycles. Yeah. Like most of the women I know, um, before they, you know, get on the, the health train are drinking cafe lattes until 2 PM. Yeah. And it's also like an appetite suppressant. So yeah. they think that they're doing the right thing because they're you're drinking or eating less calories and they'll have their big meal of the day, like around three or four, and then they won't be hungry for dinner, but then they'll eat again, like at nine 30 or 10, which isn't really ideal. But, um, is there anything that you think about the cortisol, um, that gets excreted and the kind of the adrenal fatigue that might lead to some kind of thyroid imbalance, or is that something totally different? So, not totally different. They're connected. Um, right. I have to look at, like, I don't know if you're familiar with, and for our listeners, I've, I've talked about this some before, but maybe not in this much detail. So I'm glad you're here asking me questions to make me <laughs> go into this, but, um, you know, we have what's known as the HPA access and what that is, is, um, your hypothalamus, your pituitary and your adrenals. And so those three things have to work together and things like stress disrupts that. And so your pituitary is actually telling the thyroid to produce thyroid stimulating hormone or not. So it's part of this whole chain of events and things that happen, but adrenal, you know, the concept of like adrenal fatigue, is actually much more complicated than just our adrenals are overtaxed because there's all these other layers that include like your brain and the rest of your body working together. And so cortisol, if it's too high, um, or being produced more than it should be. Like we need some level of cortisol to just function normally. It's one of those yeah. things that we're supposed to have. But for a lot of us, you know, if we never have the chance to deescalate from whatever perception of stress that we have going on in our lives, which we've all experienced, well said. Right? like if we mm. if we can't find the ways that our body will deescalate and get out of that fight or flight kind of response mode the cortisol stays high and that'll end up affecting your sleep. If you're not sleeping, 
well or you're not you know waking up through the night or whatever that actually keeps your cortisol up and cortisol is supposed to drop at night and a lot of things happen hormonally at night when you're in a deep sleep and so for a lot of us whether it's little kids or you know we have a million things running through our heads or we're just not making the time to get into bed or you know we're staying up late watching tv or whatever it is that starts to disrupt that whole process and wreak havoc on absolutely everything so big so big I don't know about you, but I know a lot of women who don't sleep well. Yes. And the minute they take progesterone, it like it's like magic. Uh, they start to sleep well. And so, um, but I think it's more than that. So the thyroid disruption I've also noticed um, is uh, aggravated, so to say, or maybe even caused. And this might be out of left field uh, through electromagnetic radiation. Yes. Um, so, you know, our computers like right here, like I always try to wear a stone also at my thyroid. I don't know if it helps, but you know, I, I believe that, um, I don't know if it's true, but I feel like my thyroid or our thyroids are absorbing electromagnetic radiation. Is that possible? I don't know, but how could there be this significant increase in hypothyroidism or, you know, thyroid imbalances in general and Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which apparently is an autoimmune disease, um, you know, in these recent years, like I didn't have a cell phone before like 2004, really, you know? (laughs) So I don't know. I'm curious about your thoughts about that. So, and this is something I, I actually haven't talked about much on the show, but that I absolutely, you know, let's just say this. There are people out there who will poo-poo the EMS and all that stuff. And there are people who absolutely hundred percent are behind it. And ultimately I say it's about doing your own research and coming to your own understanding, but you know, things like having Wi-Fi on in your house at night and sleeping with your phone by your bed. And I'll be honest, I'm guilty. Like my phone is my alarm. So it it's, near ish where I am, but I put it far away, not that I have to far enough away and put it in airplane mode so that I have to get up and turn, you know, off, um, when the alarm goes off, if I'm alarmed for the day, but Mm -hmm. you know, there's, and I think there's, it's becoming more and more well-known. Like there's a lot of research that's been done just showing how electromagnetic fields and radiation affects us. And so it's from things like cell phone towers and from airplanes and from, like everything and we're constantly surrounded by electricity. So, you know, like one of the best things you can do for that is get outside and be barefoot. Um, I know. Right. Yeah. Love that whole grounding, um, you know, science, but I mean, do you think it's directly affecting the thyroid? Um, I think I, I know. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, because the messenger, it's the messenger, right? The thyroid is the messenger. So it's, it's the one that's signaling everything like, your metabolism. Yeah. All of these things. Um, so you had said to me that you, well, so I run hypo and I've been running hypo for years and it was really disappointing when I found out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but some of the symptoms are difficulty losing weight. Mm -hmm. I don't have the lethargic feeling that a lot of people who are hypo do. I don't have that kind of like slow to go, Um, I don't have the, uh, some of the sadness that can come with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do have like, um, some level of like constipation, 
which is bizarre because I eat like a ton of fiber (laughs) and like vegetables only. So um, I know that when I, when my thyroid is kind of getting back on track that I I evacuate fully, like everything's fine. It doesn't mean I, I I go for like days without it, but it's like, it's not as like a complete evacuation. Um, so, so what are some of the other symptoms that you notice um, for hypothyroid conditions? So, I mean, the big ones are like difficult. I think the most noticeable, we'll put it that way. Cause I think a lot of women have a lot of the symptoms, but don't necessarily realize it. Um, mm-hmm. but the most noticeable is the difficulty losing weight. Like the most common question I get is, well, is it my thyroid? And, it can be, but usually there's even more going on um, with that as well. But difficulty regulating body temperature. So, you know, you're either oh, right. cold, cold all, the all the time. Sure. Yeah. Um, so a lot, a lot of, of people I know. Homeostasis. You might like never be hungry. Um, that's not normal. I've been talking with my mom about this a lot because she just like doesn't eat. I don't want to have that problem. <laughs> I love to eat. Um, I know it's not oh something to do, but like, or you know, not hungry for breakfast, and and that can be a oh, I actually, a leptin I don't not very too, yeah, I'm not very hungry for breakfast. I don't much I can remember yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. So you know, just metabolic things, but you know, depression, and so I find a lot of women, you know, we're labeled as like one in four women is on an antidepressant. And how much of that is actually depression and how much of it is that your hormones are not working right. I mean, a, a lot. Of mm. that's wow. That. I mean, that's big. That's yeah. really big. Okay. So yeah. sadness, loss of appetite, especially in the morning, um, weight gain and resistant to weight loss. Yeah. Um, that's another one. Which was, what was the other one? Mood, mood swings. Mood swings. Hmm. It's tricky. I mean, these are symptoms of a lot of different things, right? Yeah. And that's, what's hard about it. You know, I think Western medicine is so quick to compartmentalize everything. And so it's like, you know, you have to be this classic textbook, whatever, you know, ailment, but the reality is like all of this stuff works together. And so the reason why, if I'm going to look at thyroid, I don't just look at the thyroid is because there can be other, you know, if you're really going to get to the root cause of what's going on and not just label it as, oh, I'm hypothyroid. So now I need X, Y, Z. It's like, no, but how did you actually get there? You know, is it cortisol? Is it that you're another thing that actually we didn't talk about? um, This is more from Eastern medicine, but your throat chakra is right where your thyroid is. And so that has to do with communication. And so when I first became hypothyroid, um, you know, hair falling out. That's another one. <laughs> I just remember that because I went through that. Right. Um, and also getting hoarse. So, you know, my my story about four years ago, I started getting hoarse at the end of my workday, you know, after talking with patients all day long in my chiropractic practice, my hair was thinning and falling out. I have like really thick hair. If you're watching the video, <laughs> there's a lot of this, right? And it was shedding like crazy. Mm. Um, and I was exhausted like all the time, but I'd been in a marriage where I wasn't speaking my opinion or sharing my truth because it wasn't safe. Um, Cause I never knew how that would land with somebody. And when you bottle your emotions and aren't expressing yourself, that can start to shut down the energy that's at the thyroid and, you know, put you into one of these states. So I find with a lot of women who've been through trauma or, you know, just mm. consistently like focus yeah, on everybody else energetic. And, and bottle in what they really need, it can start to affect your thyroid as well. Um, and if we're talking about energy, obviously EMS and all that disrupt our energy, our natural energy flows as well. So 
all of that. That's big. That's really, really big. I mean, all of us, I'm sure on some level feel like it's not safe to speak our truth. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it is because we haven't also figured out how to communicate in a way that is mutually beneficial. And that sounds like very like wordy, but what I, I mean, when we think about it, we break it down. I'm angry about something. And instead of like smearing my anger on you, (laughs) I can also uh, take responsibility for why I'm angry (laughs) and I can communicate it in a way that's responsible. And that's actually not easy to do. I remember when my marriage was falling apart, I was looking at like what I could do differently. And I I started reading Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication, Mm -hmm. phenomenal, phenomenal book. And it's about more, it's, it's, they say violent, but even the words you didn't call or why didn't you call is considered a violent statement because anything that we say that puts the other person on the defense is going to um, be considered violent, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to be able to communicate in a way that's neither going to put someone on the defense or the offense, you know, because that that's like, that's what he considers to be violent. But I have to say it was like one of the most valuable things to learn because I had to get to the root of what need I had that wasn't getting met, mm-hmm. not necessarily by the other person, because it's never the other person's job to get my needs met. And then how it made me feel again, not blaming that other person, but taking full ownership and responsibility for how I feel because of an unmet need and then formulating a request. It is so hard. It's <laughs> so hard to do that. But it's really important that we all develop the, the thing. I mean, I call it emotional stamina. Like we all develop the skill to be able to like figure out a way to unify the head and the heart and then to be able to articulate from the heart in a way that's um, clear and not confrontational, and um, that's gonna like keep the energy clean without all the tanglements and conflicts. And I'm not saying that I I can do it perfectly, but I do practice. Yeah. And I think that, like I always say, like your daily practice is your strongest medicine. And um, I'd love for us, I'd love to like learn more about what our daily practices are that help to nourish our thyroid and keep it in balance <laughs> and not have it like tip over into hypo too much because, you know, that's what happens. It kind of, it's like this balance. Like I know uh, one of my clients is um, she, she oscillates between hypo and hyper and she has to get her blood checked by the endocrinologist every three months to kind of adjust her medication. And she's on medication for the rest of her life. She can't undo that. And it's really it's really unfortunate, you know, because she also was diagnosed with cancer really young because she's on these synthetic hormones, these okay. synthetic estrogens. And, and yeah. so, I mean, it's, it's like, it's such a double-edged sword and um, I'd love to learn from you and share with you some of the things that I do and um, yeah. And see how we can nourish ourselves even more deeply yeah. to create balance. Yeah, definitely. So for me, um, and you know, I'm a big proponent of like, here's what I'll say it just to like talk about the medication piece for a minute, because, you know, typically thyroid hormone imbalances, any of those things at some point, like they, they just kind of let you slide until you're so bad, (laughs) you know, in order to to really feel better, you're going to probably end up on medication and it it becomes a, it doesn't have to be forever. I'll I'll just say that. And I I talked to so many women who are like, can I get off of this thing? And I'm like, legally, I do about that at all. But here's what we can do to help your body, you know, support your body to start producing this stuff naturally again. And 
then you can work with your medical doctor on that because that's just not in my scope of practice to put it that way. But, um, you know, there's a time and a place for it. So like, if you're so symptomatic and so bad and you just need to start feeling better, like in order to function, that's a time and a place to take the medication. It's okay. Um, and then you can take right. the things that we're about to talk about and, and start to help support your body naturally, but it takes time to do it the way that I do it and the way that you do it. It's not an overnight fix by any means. It does take time. I yeah. mean, you know, it can take six months. It can take a year. It can take a long time. Yeah. And we're after st- I had a traumatic event, I mean, I was taking, um, you know, adrenal support. It made a huge difference for me, but there was a time when I didn't need it. I'm sorry. What you were saying? No. Um, I forgot. It's okay. <laughs> no, I was going to say, and at some level we're, we're still figuring it out, right? Like I'm, I'm still on my journey. And as I learn stuff, I come and share with everybody who listens to the show and, you know, works with me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause even as I age, it's really, it's really changing. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now that I'm in like the menopause thing. It's like, so I'm kind of excited actually. I'm like, Oh, like what's going to happen? Like, I want to do this asymptomatic. And I'm like, yeah. But if I get the symptoms, I'm like super excited to like figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I've but I'm one of those people. I don't think PMS is normal. Like, I don't think not, that I, I think not. that's a sign that things are out of balance. And it's like, how can we tune into our bodies so we can read what it is they're telling us? Yes. And it's so frustrating because we've normalized so many things, especially around women's health. I mean, we do it with a lot of things, but you know, it's it's not normal. Like having symptoms is not normal. Your breast being sore and, you know, being super moody or nauseous or like none of that stuff is normal. And same with menopause. I've had uh, several conversations with, you know, pe- experts in the menopause field on the show as well. And I'll put links to that in the show notes. So if any of you are interested in, and haven't heard those, but like menopause can be this really empowering experience where you're kind of like coming into this, you know, being a master and, and like, just, there's some cool stuff that happens, but we've normalized all the crazy that can go with it, except it's not normal. It's just a sign that your body's off and out of whack. Um, Mm. and so it is possible to, and, you know, if anyone can do it, I would say it would be you (laughs) just, you know, with lifestyle and with being really intentional of like having a great menopause experience and not, going crazy. No. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, I've heard some, you know, terrible stories and, and let, and guys go through it too. It's called andropause, right? So it's not exclusive yeah. to women, but we don't even, we don't even talk about that, let alone normalize it. Right. Um, but yeah. So, so what do you, what are you doing to help? Because you said you had lost a lot of weight recently. Yeah. Um, when you started to look at the underlying hormone, hormonal influence, I'm really curious to hear about what, what it is you did? What did you do? Yeah. So. Um... Well, first I checked my blood <laughs> or check, check my levels. Uh, it wasn't all blood tests. Blood never lies. I mean, that's yeah, smart. I, you know, yeah. use some labs on myself. I'm like, okay, I do this for other people. Maybe it's time to do it for myself. And so <laughs> I, I figured out that I was a uh, functional hypothyroid, which meant, you know, my levels are normal, but I still had symptoms. And then I'd gone estrogen dominant, which was caused by stress for a long term. But, you know, that starts to lead to things like PMS and I wasn't, you know, it can head towards PCOS. I wasn't quite at that level, but that was where my weight issue came from, where I just kept packing on like 10 pounds a year. And I mean, I'm five foot four and I topped out at 182 when I started my process in March, which 
just, yeah, we're just going to leave that there. So I'm down to, you know, I'm down to 162. I've still got about 25 pounds I'd like to lose to, you know, feel, to be at where I know I feel my best and, and, you know, function well, my body's really healthy. And so I'm still working on that and that's all great. But what I did and I didn't exercise and I didn't cut calories, (laughs) you know, those are the two things that we go to that. And you mentioned, I think when we started talking something about, you know, with caffeine and kind of worrying about, you know, using it as a, a suppressant, if you suppress your appetite too much, you actually increase your stress response and cause your body to store fat because it thinks that it's starving. It's not sure where the next meal is coming from because yeah. you don't have enough calories. And I mean, yeah. so many women, you know, we're eating somewhere between a thousand to 1200 calories a day and it's not enough. And your body thinks you're starving yeah. and you need to eat food. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so that's one thing is eating food, but then it's, it's eating the right stuff. And so, you know, I did a lot to, put my body into fat burning mode, largely by eating vegetables. It's not keto. I, I'm so tired of the keto phase or fad, um, but it is eating in a way to get your body into ketosis. And so that means, you know, getting it to where it burns fat, but for women and for, it actually can look like eating more carbohydrates than what traditional keto would, would say. Cause I, when I would try to go super low, I would stop losing weight. And when I allowed myself, you know, carbs from vegetables, not, you know, we're not eating bread, some pastas and that kind of stuff, but like some zucchini or some sweet potato or whatnot, I would start, you know, start the fat burning process again. Um, this is so, really interesting. Yeah. And on top of that, I, I did use some supplementation, you know, I'm, I'm not a proponent of using supplements like medication as I think it's really common to do now. It's like, you know, you can either take your medication for symptoms or take your supplement for symptoms, but you're still not really dealing with the underlying problem. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, yeah. You know, that yeah. said, sometimes our body needs some extra support. So I did use, uh, it's called I3C, which is a something that helps the liver metabolize estrogen and can start decreasing your levels. And then for thyroid, I use antioxidants. So things like selenium um, mm-hmm. and I have a, an HPA axis supplement that supports that whole, you know, pathway that we talked about earlier. Um, and then honestly, the biggest thing I did was completely change my work environment. So I'm no longer stressed. Um, oh, I got my office space. I'm being completely working out of my home, only working two days a week. And I realized not everyone is in a position where they can do that. And, you know, that, that was unique to me, but sometimes it takes having a really hard look at where are your sources of stress and, you know, what do you really need to do in order to get yourself to a place of being healthy? Um, Cause it's important. And it's so stress supplementation and then um, a high plant ketogenic diet. Yeah. And I still eat meat. I know you, you are totally plant-based so we can talk about kind of the, the variances with that stuff, but um, yeah. So I just wanted to ask real quick about, um, Cause you said you had too much estrogen when you did the functional blood work mm-hmm. and then the supplement you took was for your liver and it, it, it increased your estrogen. So can you, can you it didn't, help me understand? It, um, it increased metabolizing it. So oh, okay, got body, it, got yeah, it. when our body produces estrogen, we have to get rid of stuff. And this brings up a point because you, you talked earlier about constipation and I see this with so many people and it causes hormone imbalances because if our liver 
is sluggish, which 60% of the population it is, even if you eat really clean and all this stuff, it still can be, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can't get rid of the toxins. We can't get rid of the junk. We can't get rid of the mm-hmm. estrogen metabolites, which if you have too many of those, you end up with breast cancer and stuff like that, especially depending- it's on every cancer. cell. Yeah. Estrogen um, precursors. And there's, there's two different pathways that estrogen is metabolized in the body. And one of them is more common to cause cancer than the other. Um, I'm not in the cancer causing one, which is good, but I, you know, working with women that are, we have to make sure that that process is happening, but that means you're having two to three normal bowel movements a day is a healthy. Right. And I'm like, I only have one. Yeah. And so there's estrogen, estriol and estrogen, right. So, and not all three are, you know, they're, they're different, right. These three Mm -hmm. different types of estrogen. Um, Yeah. hmm, There's four. Yeah. And so estradiol E2 is the most common. Um, And typically if we're going to see issues, we see it there. Um, And then in the ratio. And so you can have, you know, just getting into the nitty gritty of this, like progesterone and estrogen have both had their levels and they fluctuate throughout the month, depending on where we are are in our cycle. And they don't go Mm -hmm. away when you go through menopause, they just lower but mm-hmm. you still have to have the proper ratios of them. So you can have symptoms of estrogen dominance, but it's mm-hmm. because your estrogen or your progesterone is too low. And so that mm-hmm. ratio is skewed. And so you're having the same symptoms of PMS and, you know, you can't lose weight and all that stuff, but it's, it's not because it's high. It's because progesterone is low. And yeah. Yeah. And so versa. I have a really good friend and I want to talk about keto in a minute and liver mm-hmm. and sluggishness and, um, and fat and toxins getting in and out of this and nutrients getting in and toxins getting out. But I, before I go there, I wanted to mention, so I have a good friend and colleague uh, who's a doctor, he's an endocrinologist and uh, a surgeon. So he actually has two medical degrees, one from Harvard and the other from Hopkins. And he just happens to be Chinese. So he grew up in China learning about, you know, the Chinese medical system as well. So just a really amazing man. Yeah. And his whole life has been dedicated to medicine. And he's ended up as an endocrinologist as a result because he sees that a lot of the cancers he was, um, you know, surgically removing uh, could be prevented from, you know, endocrine balance. And I bring him up only because I've spent a lot of time with him. And he, he says that this progesterone, oftentimes women just need a little bit of progesterone. It's very specific though, about when they take it, which days of their cycle or which days of the month, uh, just like you, you mentioned, but it helps so much. Uh, it can at least help so much the progesterone cream. I don't know if you're a supporter of that kind of uh, treatment, but it's just wonderful to hear the stories of these yeah. women who have been helped. Um, but going back to keto. Yeah. So uh, I was diagnosed with pre-diabetes a few years ago. I think it was now like seven or eight years ago. And I was totally shocked. I'm like, what? How could I possibly have diabetes or pre-diabetes? And I was freaking out. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to fix this. You know. So I went to my doctor. He said, you know, you should eat paleo. So I went on like one of those hardcore paleo diets. And I was like, you know, really into it. Didn't really like the smell of my body. Like, and I didn't feel that great, but I was like, you know, go for it. My, my colon was even more sluggish. And, um, I went back to get tested six months later, still same numbers. How is this possible? And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go raw vegan. And then I did that for six months, went back. Numbers were still the same. And then I'm like, all right, I'm cutting out fruit, no grains, no fruit, just raw vegan. 
And I, and I did that for like six months. <laughs> and numbers were getting worse. And I'm like freaking out. So I go to my friend, he's a registered nurse. He's helped thousands and thousands of people. He's a cancer survivor mm-hmm. or thriver. Anyway, so he's like, oh, and so we were talking, he knows me really well. He's like, you know, you should just really start eating breakfast. And I'm like, what? That's against natural hygiene. And I'm not hungry for breakfast. I'm not going to eat breakfast. You know what I was like? He's like, do you want your numbers to change or not? He's like, I don't know who you're fighting with here. Cause it's not me. <laughs> anyway, another six months went by numbers weren't getting better. And I was like, damn it, Tom, I'm just going to eat breakfast. You know? <laughs> so I did. And lo and behold, the numbers got better. But that little journey, you know, indicated to me a few things because I, I really, I really, really went uh, hardcore on, on a lot in a lot of different directions, fasting and, and, and I'd been hardcore for a long, long time. Yeah. One thing I noticed was that myself and also my clients over the years, when they do the, the keto, traditional keto with the high fat, high meat, which I think is great if you're epileptic. But for us, and, and people love it. They love the way they feel. They, they love uh, the way their brain works. But what I notice is the, it's a little bit of a vicious cycle. There's like this moment where um, usually about four or five months into it, where I start to see like dark circles under the eyes and which indicates to me a sluggish liver or liver struggling. And then you've got stagnation in the colon because there isn't really enough fiber for like the good bugs to live on. And Hey, I'm not a medical professional. I'm less qualified than you are. And, um, but this is just things I've noticed like anecdotally. And then like you see uh, endocrine imbalances start to ensue. And that's when people start to get themselves into trouble. And this this paleo and keto trends, I think may be one of the causes actually of all these endocrine imbalances. I I don't know, but um, would love to hear your, your thoughts on it. Yeah. I, and you bring up several really interesting points. You know, one of them being you can be doing all the right things and still have problems, right? Because there's a lack of like our full understanding of things like leptin balance and how our liver is functioning. And, you know, you can be eating super healthy and still develop issues. Like I was eating clean and (laughs) doing all the things I needed to do for the last like three years. And what I did with women and still packing on the weight and I couldn't figure it out. And, you know, it's so frustrating. So that's, you know, that's number one. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling frustrated, like, no, you're not alone. We've all been there. Um, And, you know, what I'll say about, I think with any of the, I'm so tired of the fad diet thing. Like ultimately it comes down to, we have to figure out what our bodies actually respond to yeah need and and tell us you know what we need and that requires tuning into our digestive process and how we eat and all of those things on a much more deeper level than any of us ever do because you know i i think we're mindlessly eating so much like we're eating in the car on the run i'm completely guilty of this too we're skipping meals we're you know we're doing all this stuff and until you can really like slow it down long enough to tune in to like, how does that actually make me feel? You know, why am I mm. that thing? what, like what's driving my, my decisions around food. This is something I've started talking a lot about is our, our food dialogue, you know? Oh, it's so emotional. It's such a deep it is. It's so emotionally mm. driven. And, you know, you brought up earlier and <laughs> just talking about thyroid stuff, like needs not being met. And so a lot of times our food decisions are driven by some need that is not being met that we can meet with something other than food. And it's just yeah. about figuring out what that is. Not to say we never need to eat, but um, 
you know, I think it's really interesting because with the, so much has become keto and there's keto ice cream and keto chips and keto <laughs> that. Yeah. You don't need to be eating it, <laughs> period. And just because it says it's keto, just like gluten-free became this thing that you can have plenty <laughs> of stuff that's super unhealthy being gluten-free. Um, you know, it's become this new like fad, like, oh, I'm keto. And, you know, it, it that's not how it works. Like ultimately you need to eat real food. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, it's like taking Whole30 and turning it into a way that is fat burning, but, you know, you're still eating a lot of, like I eat so many more vegetables and I already ate vegetables, but I eat so many more now um, just through the process I went through. And like, that's my biggest portion. And that's like, I feel good and I have energy and, you know, from, I, I'm not necessarily an advocate of like, I, I'm neither way. Like my body does better with meat. I've tried to go vegan before and it was like the worst period of my life. So oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I, I tried yeah. it for two weeks before my wedding and I was like, yeah, and no, I need some steak. <laughs> um, and like, I just, it's just learning that that's how, you know, I don't need lots of it. It's not right. Table, but it's like knowing that my body, Hey, we need some more protein than, than what you're giving me. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think the other thing is like being in ketosis, you know, every, everyone will argue, oh, you can do it as for as long as you want and blah, blah, blah. I would actually argue that, you know, if you're staying there more than four to six weeks, you're going to start to develop problems. Like what you talked about. That's what I noticed. You have to have variety and, you know, give the body a break because it, it's another form of stress to eat limitedly like that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that for all of us, one of the big takeaways is like the big, biggest portion on your plate, you know, is vegetables. Um, and that's really what my plate looks like, you know, literally for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if you don't like vegetables, you got to find ways to love them because they love you back. Yeah. <laughs> and if you just and, say eat vegetables for breakfast, that is correct. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I eat like squash for breakfast. I eat um, some, you know, greens for breakfast. Sometimes I have roasted um, mushrooms for breakfast. Uh, there's, you know, there's so many ways you can you can fit greens and and veggies into your breakfast that are really delicious. And you can even make like a porridge out of the squash with cinnamon, and you know, mm-hmm. you can make it sweet, you know, um, without sugar, of course, but. I mean, yeah. I think this goes back to um, lifestyle practices of like tenderly loving yourself, accepting yourself, learning how to communicate honestly and lovingly to yourself and others, right? And then um, at least this is what I'm like gathering, right? From yeah. I'm very practical, I like to like find practical applications. Like, what do I do with this, you know? Um, and stick with this, you know, whole food, you know, plant-based, for me, plant-based, you know, but primary, you know, like lots of vegetables, um, diet and also alcohol mm-hmm. is a thing that I think a lot of adult adults are consuming. And I find that is needing um, to stay off the table or become more of an occasional thing for most people. I personally don't drink, but I see a lot of people aging poorly, running their health into the ground and it causing massive sleep disturbances. Yeah. Uh, and so when we think about what we need to leave off the table, you know, flour, refined carbohydrates, sugars, um, and, and alcohol, I think it's really, really, really important. Would you agree? 
I would. And I mean, the biggest thing with alcohol is it breaks down to sugar. So, and all of those things you just listed also break down to sugar and we have sugar. Like if you just, if for, for fun, you can take this on if you want to, you know, listening, but if you look at the labels on all the food that you eat and there's actually 65 names for sugar, um, and I'll maybe put a link to a document that people can download to look at that, but just look at how much sugar we consume on a daily basis. And then, and the average American, I think it's, um, 150 pounds of sugar a year is mm, how much that is that's not massive. like having dessert every night. That's just like in our food, they add it to absolutely everything. And so we've developed this, you know, our taste buds crave it. And we have this little sugar monster going on and it really stresses out our liver and leads to things like insulin resistance, which then, you know, is setting you up and heading you on the way towards diabetes. And high fat, high fat is doing something similar, right? Yeah. High fat is leading to the insulin resistance too. Would you, do you, do you yeah, that? I would agree with that. And I know you had an interesting thing about fat, so we can maybe dive into then we'll wrap, wrap this up. I know there's Talk so much to unpack. I love this conversation. It's really, really rich and juicy and, and information that we just can't get anywhere else, you know? Yeah. Um, so I love to share this and be in this conversation of like, Hey, we're still figuring it out and <laughs> some things we figured out. Um, so I've always thought like you have to choose fat or sugar. You can't really have both. And um, so, so I never really felt confident choosing sugar, but I, at that time, I didn't realize that vegetables were also sugar, uh, that fruits were sugar, right? Of course, that's kind of more obvious, but you know, I wasn't really, I was thinking sugar was sugar, like, you know, cane sugar, brown sugar, you know, like things like that. And so for the longest time, I was like consuming a lot of fat. I mean, more than one avocado a day. Like I'd go through olive oil, like, you know, (laughs) you know, more than one bottle a month. (laughs) I was eating a lot of fat and oil. And recently I've decided to reduce and even for certain days, like eliminate of the month, you know, certain days of the month, just eliminate fat altogether. And I had this really rare, um, I had like eczema, like what, I don't eat corn, soy, dairy. Like what? Why would I have eczema? This is so bizarre. And I was kind of in denial about it and it kept getting worse. And I went on like a, a like a trip and I, I, I got a suntan and like that area was like white because it was bad. I'm like, this is like a real legitimate case of eczema. And it was on the backs of my arms, which I relate to my liver. Right. And I thought, Hmm, I wonder if something's going on with my liver. And I did like a liver cleanse that was completely against like everything that I know to be true. But I'm like, you know, people are talking about this. I might as well give it a try. I'm always testing things on myself. And it was basically like a fat free nine days of fat, no fat and lots of greens and, you know, lots of, you know, asparagus and, and, and things that would be helping the, the liver. And I couldn't believe it like it completely lifted off and went away completely. And it was like a high sugar, no fat kind of thing. And I don't, I don't mean like there was some honey and there was like fruit, there was like orange juice, like in a salad dressing or something, but it was a lot of green. There was a lot of greens. And what I find is that the more fat that I eat, it feels like it's slowing down. There's like a sluggishness. Cause we did like live blood analysis in um, a colleague of mine's office. And we showed, it showed like when we eat high fat foods that there's like a coagulation of the blood and it's like really kind of dense, similar to what happens like when we eat um, processed foods or um, even high protein foods um, that are animal, animal-based, like you find this, like, and then 
you know, this coagulation. And then like when you eat foods that have a lot of oxygen and phytonutrients, um, you know, that you find that the, the blood cells are like floating more freely. And it led me to like, understand this microcirculation of like, you know, nutrients being able to get into the cell and then toxins being able to leave the cell. And when you eat a high protein, high animal protein, high fat diet, it appears that the cell is not as able to receive nutrients and, and excrete toxins. And I'm happy for you to refute any of this, but this has just been like my understanding of what I've like unveiled. And so when I can eat less oil, I just, I feel better. And the sciatica, not sciatica, this um, eczema thing was really, really like made it clear to me, like undeniably, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> could it be that simple? Because I had this ideology that I could eat as much fat as I wanted. Um, and, it, you know, especially if I wasn't eating sugar and that was going to work. And, and actually that's not true anymore for me. It's so interesting. And it's, um, I don't want to confuse anybody either because, you know, there, there has been evidence that showed like. I found some women aren't eating enough and we can get into, there's a ratio here that we can talk about in just a second, but yeah, I agree you know, with that statement. I that, agree with that statement. Yeah. Like we need that. We do, but maybe we don't need as much as we start. Cause I, I, I went into that realm too. If I was eating like a ton of fat and I was like, maybe I should back off on this a little bit. Like I actually tracked my, my, my macronutrients for a while. And I was like, hmm, like 60% of my diet is fat. That's probably not good. Um, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the middle, the middle road is exactly where I am today, day to day. The other that I was describing this was like the extreme that got right. the skin problem to go away and you help my liver. Probably. Yeah. Um, I guess I just need a little break. I think our liver loves green foods. Our liver loves, um, deep, uh, orange, deep purple. Um, our liver loves like chlorophyll rich foods, you know, like green, green, green makes me, makes me feel so good inside when I eat <laughs> green foods. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it, you know, and it needs, and we need variety too. That's what I was going to say. Like if it's not about finding like the perfect stagnant diet, you know, I've started talking more about the kind of ebbs and flows of we need change and transition. And, you know, there's different times to eat different ways and you can do it seasonally. You can do different things, but you know, I like seasonal. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. But we need that variety. And the last thing I wanted to add with this is, you know, there's, there's di different types of fats. So we have omega threes, omega sixes, omega nines. Thank um, you. And we tend to, as a society, especially in North America, where we eat high omega six, it's our omega sixes are insanely high and they are yep. very inflammatory and they are one of the primary things that causes heart disease and cancer. And so if you are, you know, like my husband, a meat and potatoes guy and you know, <laughs> woman, and doesn't, doesn't care where the meat came from, as long as it tastes good, like your numbers are going to be skewed big time. And so it's finding ways to support that omega-3. So I'm really a proponent, oh, you know, yes. the healthy fats are those that are higher in that omega-3s and have a lower ratio with the omega-3 to omega-6, but pumpkin seeds, walnuts, yeah. hemp seeds, black seeds, all of those, like those. Yeah. It can go on. Another good one. As long as you're getting wild caught and salmon's gotten a little iffy and I live in Alaska and I'm saying that but sardines, sardines are supposed to be some of the best. Uh, when you look at blood work, I've heard from yeah. some of my colleagues. Um, yeah. yeah. So I totally, so glad you brought that up. And another thing I really want to add, and I know we got to wrap, but 
Herbicides, fungicides, pesticides cause estrogen imbalances. And so when we're eating our vegetables, either we need to grow them ourselves in our kitchens and homes or out in our, on our terraces or in our gardens, if you have a garden or find a farmer who chooses not to use genetically modified seeds and herbicides, fungicides, and pesticides on their farm. I mean, on their vegetables, it's really, 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 really important. And I I don't think we mentioned that. And I, and I really want to emphasize how essential it seems so basic, but organic food, especially if you can find a farmer who mineralizes their soil even better. um, Or if you can, you know, just we've got to find it. We've got to go out of our way to get it. It, it, our, Our health depends on it, our future health, because these hormone imbalances don't come overnight. They come over a long-term buildup of toxins, stress, and all kinds of other things. So, um, yeah, I just want to be sure to really mention that. Yeah. And I would argue too, you know, we're exposed to more and more now. And as a result of like, you know, 2020, the year we all want to forget, (laughs) you know, people were even more obsessed with like sanitizing everything and cleaning everything. And so what that does is it, you know, when it kills 99% of the stuff, it leaves the 1% that's truly, really virulent and bad and can wreak the most havoc on your body. And so, you know, we're, we're just in this, like, we don't have the, I guess, support of the critters that we need in our body because we're killing everything. And then we're inundated with all of this toxic stuff from our environment and honestly, environmental stuff that we're exposed to cleaning products and, pesticides and herbicides and, you know, stuff they spray around the house and stuff that you clean your car with, like all of that ends up affecting our our bodies. We could even include, you know, I don't want to get into a vaccine conversation, but a lot of our reactions and developing allergies and asthma and hormone issues and all of that is actually tied to like our body's just inundated and it can't keep up with a normal immune response. And so we end up. Yeah. So we've got to detox, get toxins out of our bodies. Um, We've got to like reverse any damage we've done by eating organic food, sweating, hydrating. These are all really, really, really important for me in my daily practice and, um, and facilitating the cell you know, in the membrane, keeping it malleable so that nutrients can get in and toxins can get out. And um, I will just plug broccoli sprouts for a sec because broccoli sprouts are really key with the indole-3-carbonyl and the sulforaphane because we built up a lot of, um, you know, estrogen mimicking plastics that a lot of our food, even if it's organic, is wrapped in. And the, the broccoli sprouts can help usher out some of the, the estrogen that we don't really need anymore. And I know I'm kind of not speaking in exactly correct terminology, but indole-3-carbonyl and sulforaphane found in broccoli sprouts can really, really, really assist our bodies in, in its cleansing yeah. process and hormonal you know, balance, therefore. Yeah. And just to reiterate, um, indole-3-carbonyl is what I've been taking for my estrogen dominance. But I will say, if you are not 100% that you're actually estrogen dominant versus that you have a you know, your progesterone is too low and that's causing signs of estrogen dominance. You do not take it without getting some, you can eat broccoli sprouts. That's fine, but don't take a supplement without, you know, being really clear. Cause you can screw yourself up more that way. Oh, so, wow. Such a delicate yeah. balance, but for all of us, like, you know, there's hope, you know, and, <laughs> 
And I'm so excited, um, you know, that we can all come into balance and, and share and learn. My son is interrupting us as we're ending here. So, <laughs> Aline, just let I us know play one, Fortnite with my one, one more time. How uh, can we get in touch with you, find out more about you, connect with you? Well, you can go to jennifer-helene.com and um, sign up for the seven-day free lifestyle plan, which will help you know to get you to get back on track, um, to reboot your system, and to start to find uh, balance and. Um, yeah. So that's a great way. You can contact me there, uh, reach out to me, send me an email and, um, I'm, you know, fully accessible. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming back and for another great conversation. We could talk literally all day, but we'll go I know I'm so excited. I can also so no. excited to see. <laughs> I'm so excited to see, um, the results that you get and the program that you're developing on this, because it's really, really important. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Rejuvenated Women, Impeccable Health for High-Performing Women, where we provide you with the tools, information, and inspiration you need to transform from overwhelmed, overworked, and overweight to vibrant, energetic, and on fire. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a review. Each month, I will select one lucky subscriber to receive a special Impeccable Health sample kit from me. Also, I don't want to be working with you on your health only once or twice a week. I want to be in this conversation and in the trenches with you every single day. I invite you to join me at www.emergentwomenih.com for even more information, inspiration, and motivation to transform your health and become vibrant, energetic, and on fire. Until next time, remember to keep putting yourself first so that you can better serve the ones you love and the things you are passionate about.